0: Welcome to Episode 75 of the Football United vs. Soccer City podcast. Firstly, I'd like to sincerely thank all of the interviewees, listeners and the football community of the Illawarra, Australia and elsewhere around the world who download this podcast. Additionally, I'd like to say thank you to the tremendous people who contribute, comment and reminisce on the social media pages. Fabio Fabrianesi. ...is our interviewee in episode 75. Born in Italy in 1952, Fabio and his family emigrated from Italy to Australia. His first initiation with football was with Paul Kembler Danube Junior Soccer Club in 1962... ...as an outfield player. His love of the game further developed throughout the 1960s... ...via playing and watching the game. And with his father's history as a goalkeeper in Italy and Fabio's love of George Ramage from South Coast United, it was no surprise that Fabio became a goalkeeper when the opportunity arose with Paul Kembla United in senior football. This podcast delves into his goalkeeping career, which encompasses his time in the Illawarra, Italy, Federation Football, the Phillips Soccer League, and then back to the Illawarra. Along with Fabio's brilliant thoughts and memories, There are three additional interviews added into this podcast that give further insights into Fabio. So thank you to Dave Curley, Lou Del Turco and Albert Chochi. I appreciated the opportunity to record and listen to Fabio's football experiences. I have sincere appreciation, respect and thanks for the time Fabio spent in delving into his football journey. Please enjoy episode 75. Well, welcome everybody to the Football United vs Soccer City podcast. I'm here in the leafy surrounds of Coromel and on the other side of the line I have Fabio Fabrianesi. And uh, he is my very, very special guest. He's uh, flown from the Philippines to Australia. A bit of sickness on my part meant that uh, we couldn't meet up in person. But, Fabio, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for being on here.
1: Pleasure's all mine, Travis.
0: We'll start from the beginning. You were born in, I think it was November 52. But what's your first memory of football?
1: Oh, my gosh. I actually... I didn't see much football in Italy um, because when I migrated to Australia with my parents, um, that would have been 52, 55, I was only three years old. So I didn't see much football in in Italy. Uh, The football that I actually started seeing was here in Australia.
0: Would it be true that, you know, your dream or your football dream started in 62 at the age of 10 when you began playing with Paul Kembler Danube Junior Soccer Club?
1: Yeah, I think that was, a, we, we lived very close to the ground, and I remember seeing all these children running around, and I was intrigued, so I thought, oh, let me go down and have a look, and then I saw them playing football, and then uh, the guy that was coaching, um, a guy by the name, well, we all called him Uncle Rudolph, but I don't know what his real name was, and he, I said, you know, can I play, and he said, yeah, sure, It we're just having a training game. And I just started from there. But, I mean, at, the, at that time of 10 years of age, it wasn't about becoming a, uh, a star player or anything. It was just having fun because that's what the game was, is all about, having, enjoying yourself and having fun.
0: And uh, Uncle Rudolph, uh, like you said, you didn't know many details, but uh, was it spoken amongst the kids that he'd played, uh, uh, played in Hungary or played at a high level?
1: Yeah, my understanding, you know, at first I thought that he might have been uh, an ex-international Hungarian, but I'm not sure if that is correct. But I do know that he did play in the Hungarian uh, uh, top league uh, as a player. So, and I'm not sure what club. I I did went to try and chase him up once um, um, in Lake Heights where he lived and I found him. He was a very, very old and frail man, but he managed to remember me. And it was quite emotional because he started crying uh you know we hadn't seen him me since uh, 15 years ago so yeah it was very emotional and um he, he was a good man he was a good man and initially uh like
0: you said you're 10 years old in 62 poor kembler danube junior soccer club uh because of your height um where did you end up playing initially in those in those first in that first year
1: yeah, he wanted to play me in the back and I and I really and I and I played in the back because I wanted to play. So at that time it, the ambition of being in goals was not a hundred percent. You know, I thought it was interesting because I do remember Dad telling me that he played in goals and I thought, Well, um but he put me in the back and I would say, Why don't you put me in goals? Uncle Rudolph, oh, no, I need you in the defence because you're a tall boy. I was the tallest in the team. And so you will be good for for the high balls. And, uh, you know, you can dictate the terms of the play and distribute the ball. You know, he's talking to a 10-year-old, right? (laughs) Like as if I understood understood all of that. But anyway, the bottom line is that I I stayed at that uh, centre-half position, yeah. And
0: the the colours and the ground of Port Kembla Danube Junior Soccer Club.
1: Well, this is interesting because it was a Port Kembla club, but the the colours were that of the Noob. I remember that, and it wasn't uh, the Juventus colours. Uh, the Juventus colours came later, but in, be, in the beginning, and I I, I suspect that uh, Uncle Rudolf actually bought the 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 uniform. So it was a sort of a, a, a green and and a red uh, uniform type, like like they have in Hungary.
0: Oh wow, wow. And, and for yourself, uh, are there any other uh, memories of, of your junior soccer club playing days? Because you played there for a, a four to five years as a junior player. So uh, was there anything else that you can recall?
1: Uh, like The tournaments that we used to have at Victory, where all the clubs got, got together, that was quite exciting. You know, the, the knockout, uh, I think a couple of times we managed to come second, uh, I don't think we ever – I don't recall ever winning it, but I do recall uh, second. And and there was, you know, all the parents go there to watch the game. And so it's a sunny day. you got the sausage sizzle happening and the players playing and the players that are not playing watching. So it was quite exciting stuff for a young young players, you know. And, uh, yeah, it was, it was good. It was, there was a lot of that happening.
0: And before we talk about uh, where you went in your senior career, because that's an exciting journey in itself – but can we talk a bit about your dad? Um, can, you, yeah. can you name your dad and, and tell, tell the listener a bit about um, what you know of his football history?
1: Well, well dad's uh, his name was Armando Fabrianesi, and he was born in 1929. Um, in as far as him playing football, uh, you, you need to understand that after the World War, uh, there was no jobs. So my, my dad was only a young boy, and his job was to work in a carpenter shop and he would straighten out the bent nails because you couldn't buy nails, so they had to reuse what they had. And his job was also to heat up the glue that the carpenter would use to glue timber together. So that's the type of things that he did. As a he was only very young, like maybe 12 years of age, and his father had died uh, from a um, poisoning of uh, a thorn, rose thorn, oh. and his mother uh, was left with two children. Uh, uh, my father and my um, and his sister my auntie and um, they they were just very uh, working class people and they worked really hard and then as dad got older he obviously started playing football you know he made friends like everybody does come and play football with us so he did and he was putting goals and he played with a team called SS which stands for Società Sportiva Social Sportive Club Matelica okay. so that was the the club that he played for, and the only club that he played for. I have one picture of him, one picture of him in 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 goals. Uh, sorry, one picture of him with the team t- team photo, and uh, that's the only memory that I have of him actually, um, you know, playing in, in Italy.
0: And the team he played for, uh, what sort of tier of football or level of football was that in Italy?
1: Okay, well, that would have been at the time would have been uh, a promozione. Promozione is the one division lower than fourth division. Okay. So if you win promozione, then you get promoted to the fourth division.
0: So the fifth tier of uh, Italian
1: football. Uh, but there's more. There's two more tiers under that. Okay. So there's, there's seven tiers altogether in Italian football.
0: And so did your dad ever talk to you um, while you a, you're a kid or even as an adult um, about his career?
1: You know, I've got to be honest with you. Dad was always a workaholic. He was a builder by trade. And he was... Uh, off to work in the morning at 5.30 and didn't come home until 8.30 at night. So I never really saw him until I was around 16 when the family decided to go on a a European trip to Italy and we were there for nine months. (laughs) So during those nine months, I really got to know dad really well, but he didn't talk too much. He, He was pretty humble sort of a guy. He didn't talk too much about his past, but, uh, yeah, he, um, he loved football like me. We, whenever there were World Cups or you know, um, championships on television, I would go to his house at four in the morning to watch the games together, and yeah, it was just, it was just like that. It was, he was, he uh, was a real uh, football freak, just like me.
0: <laughs> and so Uncle Rudolph put his centre half in the four to five years from 62 through to 66, 67 playing junior soccer. Uh, but when did you find out um, that your dad was a goalkeeper, and then did that inspire you to say, "Well, it was in the back of your mind that maybe one day I'll I'll have a crack at playing goalkeeper"?
1: Yeah, I guess every child wants to impress their parents, you know. And I guess in my mind, for example, I kept on thinking, "Well, you know, dad dad played in goals. Why can't I?" That was a question that I used to put in my head, and I said, "Yeah, I didn't mind playing." You know, during the years I changed position, I went from. Um, Centre half, and they put me on the wing because I was reasonably fast. Um, It it wasn't. It was good, but it wasn't what I was really wanting. Um, And so, yeah, the 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 the, it it was a thing about wanting to play in goals. Yeah, when I probably when about uh, at the age of uh, sixteen, I think I started thinking strongly about that.
0: In terms of spare time, like you said, there wasn't much of it for for your dad as, as a working-class guy, but there were times where yourself and him on weekends would go and watch senior soccer in the area. What memories do you have of, of, of that?
1: Uh, all the time. Yeah, we used to go and watch the, uh, the old South Coast United in yeah. goals. And I think that's, by watching those games, I don't know if, uh, if people remember, but it, uh, it used to be like sardine can. Everybody was so close to one another. It wasn't a a proper stadium. It was just like a ground with a football field in the middle. And so everybody's really close to each other. It felt like being in a sardine can. And I wasn't young at the time when they started taking me there. And I remember there was big George Ramage in goals. And, you know, I used to watch him. And and he was always in green, you know. We used to call him the green frog. And he was was amazing. You know, big man, a big loud voice. He commanded his uh, defence area really, really, really well. And I think that's when I started getting the rule, oh, I really want to play in goals. I really want to play in goals, you know? So uh, I think that's where it, it, it was enforced, the fact that I should play in goals. Yeah. The, 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 the great universe, powers of the universe would say, Fabio, you must play in goals, I think. <laughs> <laughs> I think.
0: <laughs> 1968, I think it was, uh, roughly speaking, when you transitioned from junior football to to the senior grade and like you said you're playing for Poor Kembler Danube Junior Soccer Club and they were a feeder club to Poor Kembler United Correct. Um, who were the senior club at the time and had two grades in in the the second division the second tier of the uh IDSA competition so uh, for you uh you're still playing as outfield but uh, during this period um you went into your Position as most people now use goalkeeper. How did that
1: happen? Well, that was interesting, you know, because uh, there was a, a young goalkeeper. Well, he was actually a little bit low. Sorry, rephrase that. He was much older than I was. I was only about 16, going on 17, and he would have been in his 20s. And he was uh, uh, the goalkeeper for, for the reserve grade. His name was Frank Selmo. And a uh, tall goalkeeper had all the attributes of being, a you know, uh, what a goalkeeper should be. And, um, and you know, he was always playing in goals and I was always playing on the wing. And then one day he got injured and the coach said, who's going to go in goals. And I put my hand up and never looked back. <laughs> that <laughs> was it. That was the start of my goalkeeping career.
0: <laughs> and do you remember those first couple of games, uh, being super nervous or, or just thinking, wow, this feels natural.
1: Well, no, actually nervousness. No, I, um, I um I mean it's good to feel nervous before a game but I, in that particular time because I had been already playing the game when I before I went into goals um I didn't feel nervous but I do remember there were a couple of shots in goals uh, uh low ground shots and I saved them and everybody was clapping and awarding uh clapping and and you know sort of saying well done and that made me feel good you know because you see. The thing about goalkeeping is this: that when you do a, a great save, it's only one person that gets the applause—the goalkeeper, nobody else. Yeah. You know, where in the, it's an in a team effort, everybody gets applauded because everybody has played well together. So I guess maybe that was one of the things that also I enjoyed. Whenever I played well, I would get applauded and, and uh after the game the players would come up to me and pat me in the back and says, Well done Fabio, that was a amazing game you had today or you pulled off some good saves or whatever. So that yeah, that that uh, that kept me going.
0: Paul Kembler United, the the senior club at that time, they played at Kumidichi Oval, uh just outside of Warrawong. is that right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. It was funny, funny days they eh? we didn't have any lights at the in the ground. And uh, we'd go training. And uh, we would, the guys would put all the cars lined up together and then turn on the headlights so we could see what we were doing in the dark as it was getting darker. So, you know, we were talk about poor. That, that, that was it. You know, that was the <laughs> the, the way that we, we trained with, with the headlights on.
0: And was it um, after a year or two at, at Paul Kemba that you then made your first grade debut at Paul Kemba?
1: Uh, no, I did my uh, first grade, uh, that didn't happen until later because I – I ended up going. Um, I ended up going to EPT.
0: Yeah, that that happened in '72. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So so instead of that, I ended up playing in 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 the, in the first grade team of EPT. So um, and 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 uh, then after that, uh, you know, there, there were uh, people were saying, you know, you're pretty good. Why don't you go and play in in Italy? And I thought, oh yeah, no, yeah, no. And uh, one of the um, one of the guys uh, there, uh, Botallica, Phil Botalico, who was involved with, uh, with uh, APIA Club in, in Sydney.
0: So, he, so he, was the, he was the coach of uh, player coach of EPT as well at, when you joined him?
1: Yeah, th- that he was. And then he kept on – actually, he kept on contact with me. He kept on uh, uh, ringing me up and sending me messages and saying, look, you know, I can get you started up and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, I think you've got a chance of, of success. And so I, I thought, yeah, well, maybe why not? So how was the best way to get to Italy? And the best way was to enrol in the military and let the military pay for my trip over there, which they did. Well, before we uh,
0: get to there, so uh, can you recall why you transferred from Port Kemba United, um, their senior club, and, and then you went to EPT? Um, do you c- recall why, why you made that move in 72?
1: Well, no, i I, I, I got to be honest, 50-odd years ago, I really don't remember it all that well, maybe 40-odd years ago. But um, some of the players that were ex-Port Kembla players, they the ones that invited me to go. They said, come with us. You know, we we need a good goalkeeper. We don't have a good goalkeeper. The goalkeeper that we have is not a real goalkeeper, but you are. So they obviously saw me playing in Port Kembla, and, and they thought, you know, why not? I mean, I was only young. I was like, I think I was the youngest goalkeeper in the Premier Division at that stage. Um, and then I played with him for one, or, one. I can't remember one or two seasons. Might maybe. I, it's, my my memory's a little bit faded with that. But uh, all the guys that were in the team were all, um, you know, ex-players that had played at a at a decent level. You know, and not all Italians. There were some Macedonians. There were some Spaniards. Uh, a lot of Italians because, obviously, EPT is an Italian company. Um, but, yeah, for the reason why I went there, I think it was just because they, I was asked to go and uh, I, I wasn't going anywhere with Port Kimball at that time.
0: Yeah, and I think um, EPT at that time, uh, uh, they played at Darcy Wentworth Park. And, and like you said, you had players like Abbas, uh, Rocci, uh, Bedorov, uh Angelucci, Harris, Sofatio. Um, Goff, Sarin. So there was some some quality players in there that you were playing with uh, as a as a twenty year old.
1: Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, yeah. There were very very good players, and even though they um, maybe uh, hadn't played in that level for a long time, but the, for the level here in Wollongong, there were more than enough.
0: So you played there seventy two, and and maybe I uh, started training with them in seventy three, but like you said yeah you had the e p t coach uh sort of in year, and he had connections, so what did your parents think when you said uh in seventy three that you know i'm I'm enrolling in the in the italian military and and I'm going over to Italy
1: well, my father was you know he was proud because he said oh you you know you're wanting to volunteer to go, but my mother she wasn't she was very uh, distraught. Uh, you, you know my little baby leaving me, blah blah blah, you know what mothers are like they're they're all the same, but it, after a lot of discussion and talk uh we we agreed that I would go, and I went uh, to Italy on a ship called Flotta Laura, which i don't even think it's in service anymore now, but at the time it was, and um yeah, it was an experience uh traveling by myself um I'm uh, meeting new people uh, on the ship, and I think it took about a month for me to get to Naples. Wow. And um, once I got there, uh, then they, uh, uh, they had someone, um, uh, sorry, rephrase that. I had my cousin, auntie and uncle and cousins picking me up, and they picked me up and drove me to Priscati, which is a um, suburb at just about 20 k's out of Rome. Okay. Beautiful little place, beautiful little place.
0: So initially, uh, was there a bit of a, a, a culture shock for you? Like you said, even though you were oh. born in Italy, um, was was language a bit of a barrier or were you still speaking uh, fluent Italian at home with your parents?
1: Well, what I could say was, Come stai? <laughs> Mi chiamo Fabio. And that's about it. Oh, wow. <laughs> I couldn't speak Italian at all. And it was a real learning curve, let me tell you, I had to learn quick, real quick, because I said, if I don't speak Italian, how am I going to communicate, you know, so it was, it was a, I guess, I don't know, it was a bit of a gamble that I took by going over there and not being able to speak the language properly, and people straight away saying, oh, yeah, you're a foreigner, aren't you? (laughs) Yes, I I was born in Italy, but I am a foreigner, and uh, yeah, it was just, uh, but I, I learned quickly, you know, when you have no choice but to speak one language, you learn very quickly.
0: The military aspect to it, because, like you said, that was your doorway into to Italy. Yeah. Do you recall that getting into camp or, or into the base uh, and, and it being tough in terms of training and the discipline needed? Uh,
1: yeah, look, the, the, the qualifications for entering in the, um, the, um, the military athlete camp, which is called a chicken I'm not sure of the spelling, but it's a long word, Czech Cignola. Uh, you have to be either playing in Serie A or Serie B, um, uh, like Italian national athlete of some sort, uh, a runner, a cyclist, or, you know, someone who's in, a, in an elite sport, you know. And I said, well, geez, I'm, not, I'm none of those. There's no <laughs> way that I'm going to get in this. And my, uh, my, un- my cousin, he said to me, don't worry, leave that with me. And he knew a, a colonel in the army and he said, look, my, my, my cousin is here from Australia. He wants to be a footballer. Uh, yeah, I hear that he's pretty good, but I've never seen him play. Can you help us? So he came to the training session, and he, he asked the question, which, one, which player is Fabio Fabrianesi? And the, the, the corporal that was there who was continuously bowing at this uh, colonel, he said, I'd start one over there in goals. And he just turned around and said, I'd like him to stay. And that's how I stayed.
0: In this sort of uh, military camp, and then sort of cordoned off is these athletes, um, and I'm assuming because they're athletes, they get special attention. But uh, what was the military training like, or was there less of that and more uh, more football training?
1: Well, for me personally, there was no military training. Right. Uh, my training was uh, at the Chicanyola, which we would get up in the morning. We had a uh, private chef that would cook uh, food and served on a plate, not on tin cans like they used to do in in the military base. And um, the food was really good, obviously um, catered for athletes. And then after breakfast, you'd go and do your training. And the training would would involve maybe like one and a half, two hours in the morning. And then you'd come back. You end up having lunch, uh, you know, same type of style. And then you would uh, have a sleep where you go from about 1 o'clock to about 3 o'clock. Then at about 3.30, into the bus, down to the soccer field, and train for another couple of hours. And that was our our routine.
0: Can you recall, uh, like you said, it's a long time ago, but you would have been excited and that, but were you, were you a bit um, apprehensive because, you know, you weren't at Serie A or Serie B level, um, and you put in amongst, uh, I'd imagine, some quality footballers.
1: Well, yeah, it was uh, something that I didn't know how to handle, to be honest with you. But the guys there were pretty good. I mean, I was fortunate enough to to train with the likes of uh, uh, Ivano Bordon, who was the Inter Milan first-grade keeper, and he also played for Italy. I'm I'm not sure how many games he played for Italy, but he played quite a number of games. And then there was Alessandro Alessandrelli, who was a reserve goalkeeper for Dino Zoff, uh, there was Silvano Princi from Cagliari. Um, Then there were strikers and outfield players, of course, you know, not just goalkeepers. Yeah. But one player in particular was Vincenzo Damico that I became sort of friendly with him, and he was an awesome player. And uh, I, he was the first player to be valued at, uh, I think, around the five hundred thousand dollars. But he then later went on to one million dollars. So he was, you know, he was the first player that was worth a lot of money in Italian football. Yeah
0: prior to this you'd, you'd had probably three, four years at Port Kembla United, you had one year at EPT in the Illawarra um, what were the, the training methods and, and the coaching like here uh, in the Italian military athlete camp?
1: Nah, it would have blown your mind out <laughs> when I went there and I said what the <laughs> I couldn't get over it, I mean I remember at Port Kembla what we would do, the players would get you know, paired up in twos and just run around the oval and then when you finish running around the oval, you do the passing of the ball, the piggy in the middle and all that sort of stuff. Well, there was none of that. <laughs> there was full-on training. Like So the bottom line, when we started the actual session, it was like all the goalkeepers, because there was like four or five of us goalkeepers from different clubs and different teams, they would be trained by a goalkeeper coach. Then you had the midfield players. And it wasn't just like uh, three midfield players, it was quite a few of them, because the people that were signed up in the military you have no choice to go to the army they were there also and the strikers were trained by a striker coach and the head coach would just stand on the side overseeing everything yep. when it came towards the end of the session then the head coach would put us into a game situation and he'll pick the players who he wants in the position that he wants and that was the type of training that we did so it was like superior Like i, I have to be honest not even the national team, the Australian national team, trains like that. Wow. You know, it was just just amazing. It was just really amazing, and that was like that blew my mind. I said, I've never seen this sort of training before. This is crazy, you know. And it yeah, that's how they train. But you know, the funny thing about it, Travis, even in the lower divisions, even in the lower divisions, they train the same way, wow. and it's a system that they have in Italy. The reason why they do this is. If any player is lucky enough to go from the fourth division to the third to Sadia, they're used to that type of training already. Okay. So it's a conditioning and and, and it's, it's good. I think it's very good.
0: This uh, Italian military athletes camp where there was just footballers yeah, in your section, uh, how long were you, was it a year, two years that you spent in this?
1: No, it was about uh, 14 months.
0: Okay. Is that the prescribed amount that you know you like? You said it's it's mandatory that as an Italian that you do military service. So was that the the minimum amount of time that you had to be in in the military? It was fourteen months?
1: No, in actual fact, it was originally sixteen months. But uh, the government, uh, while I was in the army, changed the uh, the ruling, and they said that no, you don't need to do sixteen months; you can do fourteen months.
0: So was it your uh, sort of plan then to to come in here? get trained up, um, and th- that was you getting yourself into the country. Yeah. And then, and then from there, exploring the football environment after that?
1: Yeah, well, that's, that was the whole idea. The whole idea was to obviously get yourself, uh, first of all, uh, um, knowledgeable in the training methods, yeah. and then obviously hoping to find like uh, someone who's willing to be your manager and your personal coach, which I did find. When I went to Trieste, I found a personal coach.
0: You you finish up, uh, you're training with, uh, you know, quality, you know, first, second, third division players. Yep. Uh, Had you uh, improved and impressed people as well in that time?
1: Yeah, because, um, you know, put it this way, if a coach takes you on and he doesn't think that you're any good, he's not going to take you on. Okay yeah so the the, goal, the the goalkeeper coach that I had was actually the guy uh who was in um um in, in Cagliari he played with the Cagliari first grade team and he ended up having a a, a a knee problem injury and his career was over uh so he was he was older than I was but he was a very knowledgeable goalkeeper so a combination of the training every day and then trying to uh, organise trials and things like that. It's not so easy in Italy to just, you can't walk up and say, hey, I want to try out for the team. It doesn't work like that. You need to have someone who can, will make the connection for you.
0: you. You finish your 14 months. How did you then get a manager or, or a representative? Uh, and, and where in the country did you go after your military camp?
1: Well, I went to Trieste. I, uh, I went to Trieste and I stayed in Trieste for a couple of years. One and a half years, I think it was. Uh, and I trained with the Triestina, which is a t- Italian third division club. I never signed up with them, but I was training with them and um And then from then on, I started having trials with various teams so um I went from you know uh, uh, Pordenone to Foligno in the fourth division, and then ended up in Padova in the third, Italian third division.
0: So when you when you're trialling for these clubs, um, uh, how are you sustaining yourself uh, week to week in terms of accommodation and and food and and looking after yourself so you can then sort of trial out at at these different clubs?
1: Well, in, in the beginning, I was actually working in Italy, so I was working with a pharmaceutical company, and um, uh, the name of the company was called Baxter. I remember that, <laughs> and. <laughs> Uh, and that uh, and that was um what I did was i I permanently worked night shift yep so that I could then play football during the day and train, which was not easy because when you don 't get enough sleep and then you have to go training and play your game it wasn 't it wasn 't uh not, 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 yeah it was difficult, but it was the only way that I could do it. My parents did help me out financially also
0: oh wow you 're trialing at different clubs you 've got to play a representative
1: or a manager
0: so when did you first get signed up by a club, and and what club was that?
1: Well, the first club was Foligno. Yep, in the Italian fourth division. Now they had a good system there. In the old days, I think it was like two hundred lire a month. Now the average worker would uh, would probably get about two hundred lire a month when that's when the currency was lire, not not euro. Yeah. Uh, but the club had put a, a clause in the contract for each player that says that if uh, you also get on top of that 100 lira for every point you get. So you play a game. There's only two points in those days. It wasn't three. So if you won the game, you'd get 400 lira, which is really good money. OK. And and that was a system how they worked. This is in the fourth division. Of course, every division, higher division, would then have a different system. Uh, the the um, monetary uh, uh, you know, entitlements would be much higher. So it was Fellinio
0: that you you got signed up with. So were you pretty uh, stoked or or sort of ecstatic that hey, I've it's taken all this time. I've done 14 months of military service. I'm assuming you did a, a couple of months or three or four months of trialing out at different places, and now you've made it at this club. Uh, uh, were you f- feeling very good and and excited?
1: Well, the excitement was obviously the fact that now the dream that you that I had was slowly becoming a reality, and um, this is what kept me going. But you know, uh, Travis, when I went to to uh, pre-season with Foligno, you know, they uh, they took me up in the mountains, and there was a hotel in the mountains. I mean, I'll never forget this. It was a beautiful hotel smack in the middle of the mountains, and uh, when I walked in there, the waiters are they, you know serve People that serve you all were wearing white gloves and bow tie, and I said, "What? What is this? You know, I'm supposed to be going to a training camp." <laughs> and that was it. That was the accommodation that we were given by the club, so that we could train and then sleep there, eat there, and all the rest. And we were there for one month before the season started.
0: And so you were signed up at Felino as as the first keeper, or were you competing with another keeper?
1: No, 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 no. I, I was I, I was signed up as number two keeper. Yep. Yeah, because obviously I was an unknown person at the time. The other goalkeeper had uh, already played in in uh, in higher divisions, and so there obviously, obviously he was given first choice. But you know, uh, injury happens during the season. People have bad games, and then you get your opportunity, and that's what happened with me. And uh, when I when I played, I didn't play a lot of games in the, in the first year with them. I think I played about seven games, but it it was exciting stuff. You know, even in the fourth division. They had big crowds.
0: Do you remember your debut?
1: It was a a game against a club called Pordenone. Yep. All right, and and I think the game at the end, of I'm trying to remember the score line now. I think we actually ended up winning the game two one, uh, and the game was played at Pordenone, which which was um yeah what's again another fourth division club. So we're just playing against the same uh, standard clubs, you know. But the, the system that they play in Italy is t- completely and totally different. They have this catanacho system of playing, the chain in the back, which stops a lot of strikers from getting through. They don't use it so much these days, but in those days, it was, you know, it was really worked. It really, really was difficult to score goals.
0: What was it like uh, then being part of the starting team and I'm out on the field?
1: Yeah, no, no, it was, it was great. It was great. And actually everybody, would uh, they, they didn't call me by my name. They called me the kangaroo. <laughs> and they didn't say Fabio they say hey the kangaroo is here hey hey hello how are you <laughs> You know, <laughs> and you know even in training I remember I was always the, first, the one in front I had to be always the one in front and people would say why is it that you train? because I'm number one <laughs> I would say to them because I'm number one that's why I have to be in front so you know they would say either the crazy kangaroo or the kangaroo so yeah it's um it is uh it's um uh, it was it was exciting. Of course, it's exciting. You know, even even the fact that you're playing in front of a bigger crowd compared to let's say EPT or or Port Kembla. You know, there the crowds automatically started going on to, you know five six thousand people in the fourth division, uh, and you know not being used to playing in front of five six thousand people is already exciting. You know.
0: Can you give uh, the listener an indication? Because this is around—is this seventy four or seventy five with Fellini?o
1: Roughly about that? Yeah, that's seventy four. Yeah.
0: What was the typical week like once you got into the league season?
1: Okay, so the bottom line was this: we we played always on a Sunday. That was our game. Three o'clock kickoff Sunday. Then we would have Monday uh, morning off, unless the coach decided to have certain players come to training. Then we train Tuesday morning, Wednesday afternoon. Thursday morning, Friday afternoon Saturday morning Sunday game and that's how it was
0: once you got signed up by Fulino, did you then uh, resign from your job at the pharmaceutical company and because this was full time?
1: yes yeah yeah after, after the, yeah after that I did I mean mind you uh, a lot of the uh, not not a lot I, I take that back A few of the players in, in the fourth division still held the jobs okay. So you know you were getting paid good money but it especially the older players that had a family with children growing up they had more expense for me it wasn't that expense because you know at the then the club would take you to the restaurant to have your, your dinner and your lunch uh during the during the season um there would be a a restaurant where I just go there and I say hi how's it going I'm Fabio from Foligno I said yes we have your name here already you just order and the club would pay for the food wow so 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 that was that was the system that they had uh, I guess maybe the fact that they didn't pay the big dollars like um uh, like said yeah that's what they did to the lower division players but that was then I don't know if they do that anymore now but I presume they would
0: like you said you'd spent time at this military athletes camp to sort of get in uh, you then trialled, then you are with Fellinio signed up and you're playing some games what are you doing on your days off and are you integrating yourself into the community?
1: Well, to be honest, there wasn't a lot of time, free time, Okay. you know, like uh, the only day that I had off was a Monday after the game. And, and that was, again, say, for example, I had, uh, I made some mistakes in the game yep. and the coach was not happy. Then he would call me and say, Fabio, you're training on Monday. So then he would take me to the ground, I would go at the ground and he would say to me, you know, this episode, because he said everything written down uh, on the 50th minute or whatever, you made this mistake. Now, you need to understand that you can't afford to make this mistake. So he would then tell me not how not to do that again, you know. So that was a part. But if I had a decent game and I didn't make any mistakes, then I wouldn't go training on, on, on Monday. I just had the Monday off. And what I would do then is obviously go sightseeing. Um, you know, uh, some of the boys that were uh, single like myself would uh, go to the movies, uh, you know, and that sort of stuff, just simple, simple little stuff, you know.
0: Geographically, so uh, so the listeners can sort of paint a bit of a picture, Fellino, uh, uh, whereabouts was this club in, in Italy? North, south?
1: Uh, no, it's actually more or less in the middle of Italy in a region called Marche. Okay. Okay, you got between uh, Umbria... Uh, Marque, um, very around that area there.
0: How did it come about that you went from Flenio to Padova? Um, how did how did how did that move from the fourth division to the third division come about?
1: Oh, that was done with my my um, the manager that I had at the time.
0: And because you were playing well, they there was obviously some interest, and someone had seen you talked to your manager, and then how did you find out that you were moving clubs?
1: Well, the, the, the bottom line was this, that the, uh, the, the president of the club had uh, approached the, the, the other way around. The manager approached the president and he said, I have a, a young goalkeeper uh, that would like to trial out. He's from Australia, but born in Italy. Um, would you like to try and see him, et cetera, et cetera? Now, this worked out because the manager knew the president. Thank so that's how these things work. All right. So, anyway, he said, Yeah, okay, bring him up. I did a trial and everything was good. They were happy. They were happy with my height. They were happy with the way that I, I trained. Um, and it just came from there, you know. And, and I was really happy because this manager um, had succeeded in getting me into a, a third division club. I mean, you know, we had another episode where I could have killed him, but anyway, that's another story.
0: Yeah, we'll we'll talk we'll talk about that in a minute. So were you pretty uh, stoked that you then moved up divisions and
1: and and you go to a new club? Oh, of course. I'm thinking to myself, okay, fourth fourth division. Now third division. Now I've got to work for the second division. Now in Italy, second division is like purgatory. Nobody wants to play in the second division because. It's a it's a division where either very uh, old players go to play or very, very young players trying to make it into Serie A. But it's really a purgatory. But I thought, you know, there's no chance for me going from third to Serie A. Ah, that's going to be really hard. You know, you need to understand that the standard of Italian goalkeeping is extremely high. There's a, you know, a lot of good goalkeepers. You know, and, and, you know, I mean, even though if I was OK and I was good, but I, the competition was very stiff.
0: And when you got to Padova, uh, uh, I'm assuming you then became the second keeper again, and you had to start a you had to start that process again of proving yourself for training and
1: all over again. Yep.
0: What was that like? Because you sort of come in as a bit of an outsider, don't you? Especially being, I guess, a
1: kangaroo guy. Yeah the other, the other goalkeepers didn't like me. Yep. And I, and I and I I think the reason they didn't like me is because they probably felt that I was a threat. Okay and that's what I think, but the, the coach he was he was good he was uh he was happy with me, but you know in Italy, until the coach doesn't see a player do exactly what the way he wants things to be done, he doesn't get put into the team so if if you learn quickly, your time to get into the first grade team is is short, but if you are a slow learner, it can take you know many months many, many months before the coach will say, all right, I'll give you a go. You know, it's, it's, you've got to be up to the, his standard. If you're not up to his standard, then forget about it. And did you end up, uh,
0: Padova, did you end up breaking into the first team there?
1: I ended up breaking in, but it took me a while. I'll, give, I'll be honest with you. Um,
0: Do you have the ability to play reserve games to, to keep match fit at this point, or are you just training? Yeah,
1: no, no. It was, uh, there was a re- uh, the, uh, they called them Primavera, which means... Uh, Oh, how do you translate that in English? Primavera, like, uh, it, well, it's it's a league for younger players and okay. players that don't. Uh, and in that team, I think you're allowed to have three older players in the team, but all the rest have to be young.
0: Okay, so you're playing there before you get your opportunity.
1: I was playing. I was playing there. Yeah. I was playing in that division there, and um, it, it was it. Was good. I mean, you know, there's still good quality players. I mean, the crowd attendance wasn't as big, admittedly, um, uh, but. It, it was still good, you know, it was still good.
0: Are you talking still the, the following season? So you had one season of Felinio and then you moved to Padova in the second season?
1: Two, two seasons, yeah. The, the second season, I, I got a, a more games. Okay. Um, I got more games and uh, I think I'm trying to rem- memorise everything in memory. I think I, I got about 12, 13 games the second season. Um and, you know, there's, there's always a little bit of injuries and in one thing and another, or the coach is not happy. So, you know, you get dropped, the other guy gets in, and then he gets dropped, and you get in. And, yeah, I don't know. But I got 12 games, but it was good. Part of it was really good because, you know, you'd have a game and it'd be like um, thirty, twenty-five to 30,000 people watching the game. And, and I had never experienced that in Australia, <laughs> you know, never. Uh, and the first time that I went out and I said, oh, shit, Excuse my French. <laughs> I said, "Oh my God! I, I, I never, you know, I didn't even know what uh, thirty thousand people look like." To be honest with you, yeah. Uh, but I found out. But it was it was exciting. It was a uh, yeah, a lot of nerves, uh, very nervous. Uh, uh, it took I think about you know twenty minutes or so, thirty minutes or so for me to calm down. Um, I did. I managed to do one decent save, and after that, uh, I felt more relieved and more more ready to go. So yeah. It was interesting.
0: And do you think um, once you start proving yourself on the field, you you get a bit more respect from the manager and your teammates?
1: Yeah, well, the, the teammates, as I said, the goalkeepers don't give respect. The teammates do, and the coach does, and, and the you know board of directors and all that. Now, you know, the, the board of directors would come up because they're always there at the game, and they would come up at the game, especially if I had a good game. They would say, Fabio, well played. That was a good game, um, a good, safe game that you played, you know. But uh, the goalkeepers, when when the committee says that you played a good game, the goalkeepers who who, who wants to break into first grade, they're not happy, eh? <laughs> no, they're not happy because that means, oh, jeez, that means I'm not going to get in, you know. So it's 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 a sort of a little bit like doggy dog in that position as goalkeeper because there's only one position, you know. So it's uh, yeah. Anyway, but it was interesting. It was interesting.
0: So when you're at Padova you then had an opportunity with Udinese. Uh, So even though you weren't aware at the time, uh, can you sort of briefly talk through what transpired there?
1: Oh my gosh. That was the saddest part of my life. Udinese at the time were a, a, what do you call it, a kindergarten to Juventus. Right. Okay. They even had the same uniform. So that'll give you an indication at the time. Now the so what, what what
0: division were Udinese in at that time?
1: Again, the same as Padova in the third division. Okay. But the the, the good thing about uh, Udinese was that if you were talented and you were good enough, then you were promoted to go to Juventus. Right. And that was because at the time Juventus was my club, that is, and Dino Zoff was my hero. So therefore that's where I wanted to go. You know, And we went there, we agreed upon it. Actually, Udinese offered me money to sign up. So you,
0: your your manager had been doing stuff in the background at this time, and and then sort of said to you, "Look, there's a chance here that you might make a move to Udinese," and yeah, and you think, "Wow, this is
1: this is great." Well, this is this is what I've been working hard all these years for. You know, the the the, the Even if I didn't play in Serie, a, but the fact that you're involved in Serie a would, would have been just amazing. You know. Um, But unfortunately, my manager wasn't a very honest person. (laughs) He, uh, I, uh, I spoke with the president, and he, he then offered me ten thousand dollars as a signing on fee to go with Udinese, and I agreed. I agreed. I didn't care whether it was one dollar or or ten thousand dollars. I just wanted to go. I mean, well, mind you, the ten thousand at the time was pretty good money. And then plus the, the contract, normal contract that you have uh, a playing contract and, and the weekly income, uh, wages and all that sort of stuff. And I agreed on it straight away. And then I went away and he said, okay, leave it with me. I'll, I'll get it, all the paperwork done and then I'll call you back for you to sign the contract. And I'm waiting one week and I'm waiting two weeks. And I'm saying, what the hell's going on? Anyway, eventually I rang him up and I said, well, you know, I don't understand. I said, oh, well, your, your manager. Uh, said that you changed your mind that you didn't want ten thousand dollars, but you wanted twelve thousand dollars, and we don't <laughs> know you all that well, and so therefore we're not prepared to pay the extra two thousand. Well, I went looking for him. I said I had murder on my mind. <laughs> I tell you, what, I could have, I could have given him the whole ten thousand dollars. My thing was to get into Udinese. That was the main thing that I wanted. I didn't care about the money, yeah. and it wasn't about the money issue. It was the fact that you get into a club where you have an opportunity. Of going into play or train with Juventus.
0: Yeah, it was a real, it was a real pathway to, to potentially. Yeah.
1: Well, he, he avoided me, avoided me until one day I caught him and then he apologized. And I said to him, You idiot, why didn't you just say you wanted the money? I would have said, Here, take it. I don't want the money. I want to play. That's what I want to do. You know. <laughs> anyway, it, that, and that opportunity unfortunately flew. And after that, that, that opportunity didn't come up anymore.
0: So how did you end up finishing up with Padova then?
1: Well, I, I, well the season had finished and my, my father, uh, bless his soul, did a surprise visit. He did a surprise visit and came over and he said, look, I get a doorbell. And I said, hello, who is it? And he said, it's me, your father. And I was on the third floor of, of the apartment block and I raced all the way down to open the, uh, the door for him. I was so happy to see him. I hadn't seen him in about three years. And, you know, we hugged and he came up and uh, he sat down and he said, look, you know, we really miss you. We really want you to come back to Australia. Uh, I'm opening up a new business. Uh, what I can do there um, is that you can be the manager and, and earn money and you can still play your football and do whatever you want to do. And then I started thinking about it. You know, I said, look, this is going to, this, this is getting into the Sadia is really hard. You know, and even if I get to Sadia B, and maybe make a little bit more money, but it's really hard to, to get to the to the very top. So I thought about it and thought about it. Then in the end, I said, yeah, why not? Let's just go back to Australia. Kind of, kind of felt that I, you know it wasn't happening the way I wanted it to happen. I was getting some games here, seven games with one club, ten, twelve games with another club, but it wasn't what I really wanted. I wanted to be playing all the time. You know, yeah. that's what I wanted, but it, that didn't happen because you know the competition is what the competition is. When you've got to comp- compete with other goal- top-class goalkeepers, it's not easy, you know. So I came back. I came back down under.
0: I guess maybe you've done it once or twice uh, uh since uh, since in your life. You've come back and you've gone, what if I'd stayed? Did, did, yeah, you, did, oh. <laughs> did, did you ever have that thought and think, like you said, you made the right decision in the sense that, you know, your dad obviously came over because he wanted you back and the family wanted you back and that was the right move. But um, but um did part of you selfishly think, jeez, I, I probably should have stayed over there and kept going?
1: Yeah, absolutely. All the time. Can I tell you a little secret, even to the to the listeners? I still think of that today and I'm 70 today. <laughs> and I still think, what if I had stayed? Yeah. Because my, my thing was never, ever about money. My thing was about... Uh, getting to the highest level and that was always my my dream to be able to get to the highest level so yeah i i, I do regret it but you know um uh, nothing you can do about it now that's gone uh, maybe if reincarnation does exist uh, maybe in my next life
0: <laughs> yeah maybe uh, so you come back to australia in 76 and then like you said you're you're back here in the illora so um how did how did you get to sign up with Wollongong City, who were in the Federation and and being coached by Herbie Williams?
1: I th- I never forget the first day. I remember talking with some people, and they say, yeah, you know, there's Wollongong City. They're playing in the in the state league. You know, maybe you just come back from uh, from Italy. Uh, maybe you should try and try out and blah blah blah. So I went there. And it was, uh, was uh, during a day. Maybe it must have been after for a game or something. But I'll never forget this. I saw David Child, who was the manager of the club at the time. Yeah. And he was counting these five-cent pieces, ten-cent pieces. He had stacks and stacks of them. And he was counting this money, obviously gate gate money, you know. Yeah. And he was counting them on, uh, and, and putting them on in neat little stacks. And then I walked in and I said, uh, is, uh, Mr. Childs? And he said, yes, I'm Fabio. I'm the goalkeeper. I'm just wondering about uh, trying out for the club. And so he stopped counting, obviously, and and then we had a little chat, and I told him where I was, where I had played, where I had trained. So he said, look, uh, we have training tomorrow. Um, Herbie Williams is our coach. Uh, you're most welcome to come, and etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. So I did, and um, you know I, I didn't know any of the players. Actually, the first two players that I got introduced to was Phil O'Connor and uh, Bobby Fryer. They were the first two players because they were the first two players at the ground before all the other. Players arrive for training, and so, you know, and I always like to go early. I never go if the training is at three o'clock. I normally go two o'clock, quarter past two, so I already start doing what I have to start doing. And these guys were the same as me because they had played in England, and uh, and so they had that uh, professional attitude, the same as I had with Italian football. And um, we we got introduced, we shook hands. How you going? Nice to meet you. Blah blah blah. Just that one thing and another. And um, then the rest of the team came. I got introduced to the cl- to the rest of the players, and um, and then we started our training session. And that was was then. And um, I wasn't first choice keeper. we uh, signing up. Obviously, the barrel Glover was. Yeah. And uh, I think after I don't know how many games, but maybe half a dozen games, um, he started playing not too good, and so Herbie dropped him and put me in. And then I was in there forever. <laughs> you know, for the rest of the the season. Uh, that
0: I played, so that was '76. But uh, as was uh, the the '60s and the '70s, you had a lot of uh, uh, touring teams come out. So you know, uh, in in '76 uh, in particular, you had uh, Valles uh, Mostar. You had uh, the Italian military team come out. So um, in in particular with the Italian military team, can you talk through? Uh, uh, your interaction with them when they uh, come down to Wollongong to, to play Wollongong City.
1: Well, uh, it was interesting. They came there. We played at Wind Stadium and uh, uh, the, the, the team that were there, I, no, I didn't know all the players because there obviously were new players from when I was there, but the coaching staff was the same. Right. So the coaching staff recognized me straight away. Fabio, what are you doing here? He said, well, I live here. <laughs> this is where I live in Wollongong. <laughs> oh, my gosh. You know, the, you know they didn't, because once I left the military, uh, Chikignola, they didn't know where I went. I didn't keep in contact with them. They didn't keep in contact with me. So that was the end of that. But when they saw me, they recognized me straight away. And so, there, you know, it was a hug, hug and shaking hands and all that sort of stuff. And uh, then we went and played the game. And, and to be honest with you, in the first half, the team, Wollongong City, played really, really good you know uh, we were we were winning and uh, it it was really great and then in the second half that the Italian military side changed players and one of the players they put in was uh, Vincenzo D'Amico and uh, I said to them I said I said to Huey Tini I said be careful of this guy he's really 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 good okay not because Vincenzo was doing military but I think he got invited to go to Australia to play as part of the team and um and Huey, you know, with his Scottish accent, said, I look, Achman, I'll take care of him, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, well, <laughs> three touches of the ball, one goal. Three touches of the second ball, another goal. Three touches of the third ball, a third goal. That was all, and the scoreline was 3 all. okay? And then they just let themselves go. I think Wollongong City kind of lost the uh, momentum. It ended up 6-3. Yeah, 6-3. And But the momentum was uh, the fact that the other team was fitter. Than us. That's what they really they they could just run all day long, and we could run. But when you are under that sort of pressure all the time, it's hard. It's hard. And uh, yeah, I mean they uh, they they beat us fair and square. I mean you know we, we couldn't. I mean they also got a penalty against us, so maybe the penalty wasn't you know wasn't fair, but it was it was a penalty according to the referee. So we we lost six three. Then after that we went to the fraternity club. And we had uh, food and beers and wines and whatnot, and I had more chance to talk with the with the training uh, with the coaching staff, and it was good. Yeah, it was uh, it was a good experience playing against them. But then the other the other one that we played again uh, was against uh, Velez Mosta. and um, again the same the same thing. Uh, Velez Mosta were just a superior side to us, um, technically, physically, uh, um, and skill wise. They're just much, much better than us. We ended up losing that game 6-2. I know this doesn't sound very good as a as a goalkeeper, <laughs> letting in six goals, but, they, you know, they have to go past the whole team before they get past me. So it's 6-2 was a loss, uh, which which wasn't, you know, there's nothing you can do about that. The other team that I played against Varda, we actually had a good result with Varda. We had a one-all draw. Uh, then a game against Haas uh, of Midlothian was also one-all draw. And the Hong Kong National Military side, we beat them. One, I think it was one nil. Going by memory.
0: I guess you're sort of in, uh, enjoying yourself again, football-wise. Um, uh, so it's just a, a matter of at that time you you get on with normal life, and and you're playing against Sydney teams predominantly in the in the Federation. So um, uh, you know, you and Daryl Glover are sort of fighting it out, and, and and things are going well. So what happened in in '77, that you uh, then uh, landed an opportunity at Marconi in in the then PSL.
1: Well, we had a we had a game in, in Sydney, uh, ES, ESG Sportsville, I think it was, ESG Sportsville, where it was a, a playoff for the the final of the some sort of Ampole Ampol Cup or whatever it was, and uh, we we City had to play against Marconi, and it was a day where the rain was coming down. The grounds were really muddy and it was, you know, not a good. And I remember that Marconi was having a difficult time beating us because even though with all their top class players and, and they couldn't do it and the the scoreline was one all. And then uh, Bertie Mariani scored a winning goal in the last minutes of the game and they ended up winning the game 2-1. But I, I had a really good game that day. Um, and, um. That's how the offer came about. The offer was not only made for me, but it was made for Phil O'Connor and Larry Gaffney. They were both – all three of us were invited to go to to Marconi. Right. But Phil O'Connor turned it down for whatever reason. And Larry Gaffney had had an offer from Brisbane Lions, and he he decided to go to Brisbane Lions. So I was the only one out of the three that actually went to Marconi.
0: You start the 77 season off, uh, like I said, uh, in this PSL team in Marconi so you know people uh in the Illawarra and and elsewhere in Australia know of uh what what the club is about and it's Italian club with a great heritage and you know they were one of the the bigger teams um back then and 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 still in state league now or MPL. they're big so for you was that a a big move
1: well, it, it was. I mean, you know, uh, the fact that it was an Italian club, and I have an Italian background, I think that was one of the main things why I wanted to go there. Um, the other, the other reason also was because, to be honest with you, they had Rally Rasic as coach, and you know, uh, he, in my opinion, was the best goalkeeper coach. In, uh, sorry, the best coach in Australia. You know, he was he was very knowledgeable.
0: He was obviously part of uh, signing you up. Uh... Uh, along with the board. But um, what was it like uh, uh, amongst some of those uh, players there at Marconi? Because you, in those years, I think in 77, you know, you had the likes of uh, uh, Alan Ma, who was, I guess, the other goalkeeper and the number one. You had Bertie Mariani. You had Ray Richards, um, Jimmy Rooney. You know, you had some some great players there. So what was it like at training and, and being amongst... Uh, Very good plays again.
1: Well, it, it was good. It was really great. The, the only player that gave me a bit of a hard time was Ray Richards. I don't know why. <laughs> Maybe he didn't like me. I don't know. But he would always have a dig at me, especially if I didn't come out to catch a high ball or or I didn't close my angle properly enough. He would really blast me. But the other players were really good. You know, uh, uh, I remember the uh, Peter Shan, who played always on the wing. He was like, my God. Every time he got the ball, he, he was like a train. And nobody could stop him, uh, you know, Paul Degny, had the full back uh, Ivano Prascalo, my God, what a player he played in the yugoslav uh, first division yep. and at twenty eight came to australia and he played with Marconi, I oh, know he might he might have played with an, another club and then went to Marconi and um, he was just brilliant what a, a sweeper like a professional sweeper like him in Australia, I think he would have been the best the best at the, at the time and you know um, yeah it was it was a great club it was uh, I remember. When we signed up, we had to go to the tailor to get our uniform, our suits. It was a, a light blue suit with a with a white shirt and a Marconi tie. And on the on the the, the lapel side of the um, the jacket, you had the emblem of the the icon of Marconi Club. You know the the boomerang yeah. with the, with the with the with the Marconi signal of uh, radio. And uh, you know when we go to the airport to go and fly interstate all of us in the same uniform you had to wear it that was part of the deal uh, if you didn't wear it you wouldn't fly and um you know, it was it was just exciting and that see that that marconi at the time would have been the closest thing to professional football in italy wow yeah they were really professional uh, and 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 again i must state that rally Razic was just unbelievable
0: what was he like as as a man um You know, he's obviously football royalty in Australia um, with what he's done at various levels, but obviously at the highest level um, with the Socceroos. So um, uh, was it just, did you obviously, you knew of him at that point in time, but uh, to be with him and be part of the squad, uh, uh, what was it like with him?
1: Well, he was never a person that would smile. He'd always have a, a serious look on his face. And I think the reason may be because he didn't want players to become friendly with him, maybe because of the fact that if he had to axe a player, then it wouldn't be, that, you know, there wouldn't be that emotional thing happening. Um, but he, he, was, um, he was strict in many ways, uh, and maybe sometimes a little bit too strict. But his training sessions, like, for example, we would go into a normal training session on the paddock, uh, on the field at Marconi Stadium. And at the end of the session, he would say to the players, do you know how many kilometers you've run? And the players would say, no idea, boss. Because we, uh, sorry, we had to call him boss. That was his name. It wasn't calling Razic, it was boss. Right. And he would say, you've done a 30-kilometer training session. 30 kilometers? You're kidding me. No, no, 30 kilometers. That's how he worked us. That is why in that year, it was really, we. I think we went 17 games straight without losing one game. We were just so superior to all the other teams in fitness it wasn't funny
0: that's crazy and and like you said uh, you had 2 years at Marconi in the PSL um and then like you said you, you i guess uh for yourself mentally it would have been tough but um Alan Mar was the soccer goalkeeper and and the number one and and played uh a lot of the games uh so how was that sort of uh Relationship with him and, and how were you uh, uh, fighting that mentally as well.
1: Well, okay. The, the, the every time we went to a hotel, that we were paired up, and Alan Marr and I would be in the same room. Right. Okay, so we, we were we were good with one another. I didn't have a problem with him. Um, I think I think the only time I did have a problem was in he had a really bad game once, and I really remember going up to Rally and saying to him, "Look, Rally, Alan's had a really bad game." I need to be given an opportunity here to show what I can do to the Italian fans. It's not fair that you could just keep me on the bench. You know, They used to call me the, the luxury reserve keeper, the luxury, because I was good, but I wasn't playing. Right. Anyway, he said to me, um, Fabio, I really am sorry. The problem that I have is that Alan Ma is in the national team. And if I, um, if I drop him, that's going to demoralize him. And if he's demoralized, I can't have a goalkeeper playing in a World Cup who's demoralized. And I said, I understand that, but what about demoralising me? You know, it's not fair what you're doing with me either, because I'm not getting a fair go. So that was a little bit of a, um, a situation that we got into with Rally, and and that was one of the, uh, probably I think one of the governing factors that made me in, at the end decide to leave.
0: Yeah, because uh, I guess from after the '78 season. Um... Uh, I think even at the start of the 78 season before the end there, where you moved back down here locally with Ferry Meadow, you you then um, had a trial game at, at the Monaro um, in Canberra. Yeah, into Monaro. Yes. But, but was there any, uh, I guess you'd probably had three or four years here where you'd been in Italy and then you sort of come back with Wollongong City, had a had a, a a very good year to then get the opportunity at Marconi. It didn't quite work out. Um, were you sort of mentally, I guess, sort of a bit down because you're going, geez, I, I've got to these good opportunities, but I just can't break through?
1: Yeah, it, it was difficult for me. And and not only that, you bear, keep in mind that I was training at Marconi three to four times a week and I was driving from Wollongong to Marconi Stadium three or four times a week. So there was a lot of driving involved, you know, and um, and uh, I'm thinking I'm doing all this excess. Uh, I mean, mind you, that the money that they were paying me was good money for me to be reserved, but it's not what I wanted. Again, as I said to you earlier on, it's not about the money. It's about the prestige, about being recognised, about playing in front of a big crowd and then showing what you can do. Uh, that was my dream. And... um after a while, I said, well, I keep going up and down, up and down, up and down with this traffic and traveling and one thing and another. And then my father said to me one day, I said, you know, why don't you just play here locally? I mean, at the end of the day, it seems that the playing in the, in the National League is not happening for you. And I said, yeah, I'm not really happy about this. It was a, I was down and I was down and, and it actually showed how down I was when I played with Ferry Meadow. Because I I had my first game that I played with them. I forget who the team was, but I didn't have a good game at all. And I think that was the the lack of game time and the fact that I was already depressed and down that didn't allow me to really have a good season, a good start of the season with Ferry Meadow. And obviously, I didn't didn't play uh, any games in first grade. I only played one game, and then the rest of the games were in the reserve grade.
0: Yeah, I think uh, Kel Potter was... uh... Being selected there as the number one, and and Hugh Tinney was the coach. So, um, not that we're going to get into the reasons why. Um, mm-hmm. We had discussed it beforehand, but uh, let's just say um, uh, the committee uh, or, or or a person on the committee had had sort of uh, had a negative view of you, um, yeah. and and obviously had uh, communicated that to the coach. And and although Kel might have been playing very well, and like you said you didn't get an opportunity because of that
1: yeah no that's absolutely true it was one one committee member who who was there that obviously uh, i must have done something or said something to him that he didn't like um and he he obviously spoke with the with the coach and you know advised him not to put me in but that's not and that's not the reason the whole reason i mean that's part of the reason yeah. the, the the fact is that i wasn't playing well Yep. That was, the, you know, I, I accept that. I just don't, did not accept that after that, that wouldn't give me a go to go back into first grade. That's what I couldn't accept. So, you know, if, if I have a bad game and you drop me, I understand, not a problem. You know, I had a bad game. I deserve to be dropped. That's the way the game is supposed to be played.
0: Well, like you said, you're, you're predominantly playing first grade. And like I said, Ferry Meadow, were a were a gun club, uh, you know, in that that 79 season, you know, they were, uh, I guess, they ended up playing Tarawana in the grand final um, in, in, in 79. And, and then you ended up playing in a reserve grade grand final against Dapto So um, like I said, you're still playing, but is that one of the reasons why in 1980 that you then moved across to Blamby um, in the premier league with John Frew as the coach?
1: Yeah, no, that's right. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I said, uh, I want to, break my ties with the, with the, you know, I kept on thinking they're an Italian club. I'm an Italian born. Why don't they give me, <laughs> treat me better? You know, and even my father, who at the time was uh, involved with the committee at the fraternity club, the club, not the soccer committee, but the yeah. club committee, he said to me the same thing. Look, you know, you're, you're wasting your time. The, the, this, uh, there's too many negative people here that don't really want you here. So you're better off to move on. And And that's exactly what I did now john 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 True was a school teacher, and he was quite a good coach actually he he coached the same way that he um uh, teached you know so like he like so he talked to us like a school teacher would uh, very calmly very uh, slowly so that we everybody understood exactly what he meant we had a we had a pretty good side that year you know i mean i think we did pretty well actually
0: yeah for for a mix of younger guys and and um experienced guys yeah you did well like uh, i think you'd played 16 first grade games and and uh you know uh i think your first round one you're in reserve grade but after that you 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 played first grade so uh like i said it it was good for you to get games under your belt and then and then the following year you moved again to to Tarawana under dave naylor so um uh, was that just a simple case of wanting further opportunities elsewhere
1: well, I think that the, the case there was basically based upon the fact that my father was really good friends with Naylor, okay. uh, with, with uh, 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 George Naylor. Uh, and, you know, they were talking and obviously George was always the trying to put in a word for Tarawana. Why don't you get your son to come and play with us? Uh, and so dad said to me, you know, what about Tarawana next year? And he said, oh, I don't know. They're, they're not a bad side, I suppose. They've got a nice little ground. Uh, you know, it's um, it's it's done pretty nicely. So that's where I decided to go there. You know, so yeah, let's go there and and also David was a good friend of mine. Yeah. So between between uh, uh, his father and David, uh, that convinced me to go and I,
0: and I did. Yeah, well, like I said, you you had a pretty good year in in '81 in the in first grade in the Premier League with with them because I think it was late in the piece they they didn't have a keeper and and a young Dave Curley. Uh, uh, was sort of thrown into the deep end and um and then uh, you then came into the squad and 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 took that role but um uh, when I talked to him in my first episode of uh this podcast uh he he spoke uh very highly of you so um you know you obviously then started having effect on on younger keepers and and young people because uh to this day he's still uh uh reveres you and and thinks highly of you
1: Well, well david when i went to when i first met him you know he had this Mop of hair on his head, with, and like that's why they called him Curly because it was all these curls on his head. And I said, oh wow! Well. I said, you know, in Italy they wouldn't let you play with hairs like that. <laughs> you know, the, the coach would say, you know, cut, 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 cut it off because if the hair gets in your eyes, you can't see the ball and whatever. You know. But I have to say one thing about David. He he took everything on board. Everything that I said. Uh, the the training, my training sessions were not like the other Illawarra leagues training sessions. Mine was hard. Because that's what I got taught. I got taught how to train hard, and and Curly he just kept on taking it. <laughs> I kept on giving it, and he kept on taking it. And I thought to myself, Wow, you know, he's got a big heart, a really big heart. And uh, he he did well. I mean, even though he played in the reserve grade, he pulled off some he had some really great games and pulled off some really top saves. And and you know, at the end of the season, I remember him saying to me, you know, thanks for everything that you've taught me, Fabio. Um, I don't think I would have had such a good season if it wasn't for your training methods and uh and i said yeah, no you know you're part of the team we're all part of the team so we have to work with one another you know um, but he, he was a hard-working young man hard-working
0: we're here at tarawana tarawana oval a beautiful beautiful suburban ground and a fantastic club to boot as well and I'm here with uh, the first interviewee on the Football United vs Soccer City podcast, Dave Curley and Dave's going to speak about Fabio, um, our interviewee in episode 75 and talk about his memories of Fabio in uh, generally and in particular in the season of uh, 1981 when Fabio was at Tarawana. Dave, welcome to the podcast and thanks for Again, helping me out.
2: Uh, Thanks, Travis. Yeah, well, look at what you've created. Little did we know. Um, Yeah, thanks for asking me to participate in in Fabio's um, episode because, yeah, the more I thought about this over the last couple of weeks really embedded what an important man he has been in my life. And even, like, in my podcast, you you recall I, I spoke about him and that's why you've contacted me. But it's actually great that we're sitting exactly where we are. Uh, we're right opposite what is now the home bench at Tarawana Oval. If anyone can picture that on one of those little bench things. Now, I say that, Travis, because it was a Tuesday night around March, around this t- this time of year, 1981, that this, uh, this man walked into my life. The pre-season at Tarawana was bizarre that year in that one of the powerhouse clubs of the late 70s you know, a couple of grand finals and even as recently as 1981 the band of the cup and here in 1981 there's only one goalkeeper in the whole club but he's 15. Um, and that happened all the way up until the f- first round of the, the competition actually um, and while i survived and didn't do too bad it was very clear that i wasn't anywhere near ready for that and then uh, on this Tuesday night, Fabio Fabronese comes to training. I'm expecting him. And I, I know of him, of course I know of him. We've been watching him play for a few years. And I was sent to, uh, to train with him. And he took us for a jog. And this spot right in front of us, i kid you not, right there, he had asked me, so, you know, why do you like being a goalkeeper? Why did you choose to be a goalkeeper? What attracts you to the position, et cetera? And I, said, I started with, oh, well, when I was young, and he, he laughed at me straight away, and I do that a lot now with kids. Um, and that's one of, of many examples I could cite, and hopefully will cite a few, of where the influence of him is so strong on me as a coach. In that it's always the first question I ask a kid, why are you a goalkeeper? What do you like about it? And And the discussion starts. So... That season for me was was incredible because I was just chucked in the deep end, and managed to float just. And I think if Fabio didn't turn up, I would have sunk. Um, as it turned out, for the first half of the season, I played youth grade and reserve grade every week. I trained Monday, Wednesday with the youth team, and Tuesday, Thursday with with the grade, first grade. Only because Fabio was there. If he wasn't there, I'm like I'm not going those nights. So looking back at that big year as a 15 year old, and I managed to jump much further ahead than I would have done had not given that opportunity from from Dave Naylor. But um, it's really about Fabio in, in in that year because training with him uh, two nights a week, I was mesmerised by the guy. Like here I am, little um, Aussie boy in Tarawana. Having said that, my four best friends were Claudio, Angelo, Maurizio, and Renzo. So I did have, I was intrigued by all things Italian and that was a, always a connection to me for, for soccer. But then, then when this guy walked in, like more debonair than I could handle, the, the coolest guy I'd, I'd ever seen. Uh, and he was kind, um, and I'm a kid, yeah, I'm a kid. And he, he was kind and gentle, but uh, firm and whatnot. He, um, looking over the other cro- side of the field there, I laughed because there was a particular thing that he did and then I would have to do it. If he did it, I would have to do it. And looking back, that was a that was a big sign of respect, that he, uh, I know he wouldn't make me do anything he, th- he thinks I couldn't do. And this is way old school. I would never do this now. I'd probably um, get in big trouble. But they're not here anymore. No, they've been taken away for safety reasons, probably. People might know them. These wooden benches that used to be behind the, fa- the fence at Tarawana, splinters and hard edges and whatnot, <laughs> big old school steel <laughs> frames. He says, OK, Davey, we put this here, you throw the ball up there, I dive over it and catch, and then you do it. like, what? And I remember implicitly, I remember clearly, I remember the gloves he had on. When, and it was raining, and I, I served him, and it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever seen. The way this guy flew through the air, took the ball, it was beautiful. And I thought, OK, I better have a crack. And it wasn't nearly as beautiful as what Fabio had done, but I did it. Uh, and that kind of set me out for, OK, when you're training with me, you're an equal. he treated me that way. Of course, he knew I was way beneath him, but he he made me feel like I was good enough to be there. And so as well as the, you know, the many um, techniques that I still use that I learned from him, despite the many changes in in goalkeeping and techniques associated with goalkeeping, lots of that old school basic stuff doesn't change. In fact, uh, just a few days before you called me up about about this uh, episode for Fabio, I was doing a session at the walls with the the teenage kids, and um just noticing that they you know they needed to get a bit lower in their set position and drive harder with their legs and they knew this stuff they were just being a bit lazy or whatever and um and as soon as I spoke to you and I was thinking about Fabio, it reminded me of the first time I saw him for years was behind the goal up there I was doing he doing something and he was here doing something, and he knew i 'd been doing a bit of coaching. Um, and he was really supportive of, of me doing that and he'd just always give me some advice and I remember he'd say, remember, remember, low on the set position, drive from the legs, drive from the legs and then I remember I say that all the time <laughs> at my training sessions and and lots, lots of other the uh, cracking things but it w- wasn't just about the the techniques, it was the um, the love for the position that he gave us, I think I already have it but looking back at my under nines coach put the love of the game in me but fabio really put the love of the position of goalkeeping and the understanding of it and i went when i answered that question about why i wanted to be a goalkeeper i remember saying something about that i like the responsibility i like the ability to be able to bail your mates out when they make a mistake or that kind of thing and i kind of remember thinking I, th- I think he liked that answer. <laughs> I, th- I think that was a good answer. <laughs> he didn't say much, but yeah. yeah. But um, I, mean, I could talk about Fabio forever, I really could. But all in all, I can guarantee that every kid I've ever coached, and there's hundreds of them over the years, have got a dose of Fabio, absolutely. So there is no doubt that he has his influence has continued. He was like a breath of fresh air in, in, in my life in 1981, not just because he was so... Like should, the the presentation at the end of the year, it's 1981, so maybe De Fabio was still the 70s, but he was at Bruno's <laughs> restaurant in in Tarawana, looking like he stepped straight uh, out of Saturday Night Fever, absolute style master always. Um, so I, I kind of I like remembering that that part of him as well, and um, and he's made a major contribution to me, and one of those examples where. Someone doesn't have to be in your life for a long time necessarily to have a really big impact. And sometimes it's not until you get a lot older that you realise the impact that they had. And certainly uh, Fabio's had a massive impact on I me. Mean, look, I'm 50, how old am I? 57. I'm still doing this. And, and it was that lap, that lap that I had with Fabio when he just wa- was getting to know me and, and the warmth and respect he showed for a little 15-year-old kid who was way out of his depths, but he never treated me like that. And, and, th- and as I say, I, I think I may well have sunk a bit of too much too soon, maybe. But Fabio kept me afloat and then happily left and sent me on my way.
0: Dave, uh, thank you very much once again for helping me out, follow my dreams of recording the history of Illawarra soccer. And you're a fantastic man and, and I appreciate your time.
2: Uh, always a pleasure, Travis. And yeah, and uh, Fabio, I hope you're listening to this. And uh, I love you, man. Thanks so much for everything.
0: In '82 and '83, you moved on to Coniston Soccer Club, who were being coached by Robert Fryer, who was also playing. So your connection with him at Wollongong City was that one of the main reasons why you uh, then signed up with Coniston.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, Bobby then approached me because at, at this time, you know, I had uh, having been with two different clubs, uh, I was beginning to build a bit of a reputation. Yeah. You know, and uh, I was getting, you know, man of the match. Uh, you know how the referee gives uh, points uh three points to the best player, two points for and the one point. I was getting the three points, you know, quite regularly. And um he he obviously was trying to build a good team and he wanted the, the best type of goalkeeper that he could possibly have. Now he had a he had a guy there, uh, I can't think I think his name was Eris. Right. Greek Greek fellow. And um but he wasn't happy with him because he was um, for whatever the reason was. So anyway I moved in there and then I, I ended up taking over first grade spot. And uh, he ended up. The other keeper ended up going second grade. And we had a good season there, also. I mean, in all honesty, the only out of out of all the clubs that I've had uh, that I've played with, the only club that I've had a bad season was Fury Meadow. <laughs> 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 the only club. All the other clubs I thoroughly enjoyed being with. Uh, I enjoyed the training sessions. I enjoyed everything that went along. You know. So. Yeah.
0: Yeah, like you said, yeah. The, the eighty-two season it started off slow with the first. Rounds uh, 1 to 8, yeah, in reserve grade. But then from uh, after that, from rounds 9 to 22, you're, you're 14 first-grade games and and uh, man of the match in round 15. And then in the second year, obviously, uh, less reserve-grade games, three and then 16 first-grade games. So uh, for yourself, um, uh, even though you're playing in the Premier League with Coniston and, and under Robert Fryer and, and playing with guys you know, like Tony Charnock, Jeremy Lassick, Ian Sears and Jerry Walker. um, And they were a very competitive team. Did you ever contemplate going back to state league?
1: Um, You know, at that stage, I already had four children. And it was just like really hard to try and make that commitment to go back to that level where you're going to be away from the family a lot. so. Subconsciously, maybe yes, I, I would have liked to, but I think that, um, that you know, I could see that this was not going to be a viable thing to do because just with the family, you know, work and family and children, schooling and all the rest was just, yeah, really, really complicated.
0: In terms of uh, 84, you then moved to, to poor Kemba, who were in the first division. And, and being coached by Joe Marino, a very, very famous name as a player with Marilla, and then um, coaching Marilla and coaching Port. So uh, that year was probably uh, a strong year for you guys as a club and yourself in, in First Division. You had 24 first grade games and, and you got promoted and you're playing with guys like uh, uh, Fernando Escribiano, um, uh, Franco Caravana, Albert Chochi. Rick Macchioli, um, Luigi Del Turco. So you had some great players and and a great coach. So was that just a a chance again to prove yourself?
1: Uh, Actually, that was all the hard work that Angelucci put into getting me to sign up with Port Kembla. He had been trying for about three years. At the start of every season, he would ring me, Fabio, please come and play with us. And I said, no, I'm, I'm going to go with uh, Tarawana. No, I'm going to go with Coniston. And then one year, because he'd been trying for three years, I said, oh, okay, we'll, uh, we'll go to Port Kimber. <laughs> so that's how the whole thing happened. I went to Port Kembla because of Angelucci's persistence. He and- really wanted me at Port Kembla at all costs. <laughs> 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 and so that's how the whole thing started, you know.
0: Another Italian club who's got a great history in the Alora. So um, you spent the next uh, four seasons there eighty four, eighty five, eighty six, and eighty seven. So uh, clearly uh, it was probably your longest dinner at a club. So you must have enjoyed it immensely.
1: Yeah, it was. It, uh, my stay at Port Kembla was great, and the the, the team, um, the the sorry, the, the administration and the committee, very very professional. Uh, they they helped players out, if the player was in need, not a problem, they would resolve it, okay they, they really looked after their players big time, I mean really, really looked after them, so I felt really comfortable, I felt wanted uh, uh, and I also felt needed, so I guess you know, you need me, I'll stay, you know and something that the other clubs, I guess they didn't really um, show, uh, but Port Kembla really showed and they really wanted me to stay on and that's why I stayed on for the, the time that I did
0: and Joe Marino was a coach in your first two years there. Um, a great player, obviously, and and uh, everyone knows him in the Illawarra. Um, but he obviously uh, did the business, got you out of First Division into Premier League and then did, did okay in Premier League as well.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. He, he did. And uh, I'm, I don't recall the reasons why he left Port Kembla, but there must have been reasons maybe... He family reasons or personal reasons or club reasons, I have no idea. But he, he was a, definitely a good, a good coach. I, uh, I enjoyed, you know, coaching is not about knowledge uh, of what you know on how to train players. It's also how you treat players. And he had that skill, that people skill, and he had a really great people skill. And he could get a player to do whatever he wanted by the way he talked to them. You know, he, he was just great. It was just probably, in my opinion, um, in in dealing with players, he would have been the best coach that I was under.
0: And uh, obviously, uh, uh, when you're at Port Kembla, they you got them back into the Premier League with the rest of the uh, the coaching staff and playing staff. So that must have been a buzz. And and I think the following year, um, when you're back in Premier League, you you got to sort of pit yourself against uh, uh, the best in the Illawarra.
1: Yeah, it, that was a that was an interesting move. I mean, they, Port Kembla had been trying to get into the Premier Division for a while. You know, I mean, it's not just about having the good, the right players or the right coach. You also need money. You know, money to be able to uh, to um, uh, to sustain for the club and the team. And Port Kembla, one of the greatest things that they've always done is their their gala nights at the fraternity club, the raise money for the club, um, you know, auctions and all that sort of stuff. That was done on a regular basis. And this is why I think Port Kembla was such a successful club because it wasn't just the players and the coach, but it was the committee that did a lot of hard work. And they put a lot of hours, free hours in, to be able to make the club, to raise the money that the club needed and so you know we'd go out playing with a brand new strip uh, and a brand new shorts and brand new socks and you'd play against other clubs that didn't have the money and there you could see the shorts were not really the best the socks were worn out the jerseys were you know has been <laughs> so yeah it, it if you have the money and you've got the people working behind it and that year uh those those years that I was there that's what Port Kembla Kimber- committee was like. So it wasn't just the team or the coach, but it was the committee also.
0: Yeah. Well, like you said, you had four years there and over 80 games in first and reserve grade and the number one custodian there for for that period of time. And on the phone line, I have a very special guest in Lou Del Turco. Uh, Lou was a, a teammate of Fabio and uh, in the Paul Kembler era that 84 through to 87 that Fab played there. And and Lou, thank you very much for for coming onto the podcast. And if you can, before you tell us a bit about Fabio, can you tell us a bit about Paul Kembler Soccer Club at that point in time, prior to the 84 season when Fab joined?
3: Yep, uh, no problem, uh, Travis. Uh, thanks for having me. I was involved through uh, Port Kembla, through the juniors and then removed into the 18s and early 80s, the 82, 83 era. We had a youth grade side that sort of, uh, ended up getting into the grand final and voting victory. So we had a lot of that youth grade side step up in 83, 84 into the first grade side. Um, the likes of Albert, Albert Chachi, uh, Ricky McCauley, uh, Frank Cavana, uh, Myself was in that squad and we also had some um, older guys in the group and, and Fabio joined us which in that era in 84 when I think we ended up getting to uh, and winning the grand final in, in first division uh, as, as first graders and that was our promotion into 85 and in 84 um, I think uh, Fabio joined us and so was Joe Marino there as a the coach. And it was, a, it was a great year, 84. Um, we played Aries, I think, in the uh, the Greek side back yeah. then, the uh, 84 grand final. I think it was King Mickey Park, I think, if I recall. <laughs> so, yeah, we ended up winning 1-0, a competitive game, and, and it was great to win the grand final. And we, we had that. That was our stepping stone to 85. In 85, in the background, the committee was working hard Organising and, and getting the ground ready at Weatherall Park for an opening for the 85 season. Wow. So, yeah, so it was, um, there was a lot of work happening within that that 12 months, 12 to 18 months. Uh, but yeah, it was great that we transitioned. Like I said, there's probably about five of us that transitioned in the first grade. Then we also, uh, Joe Marino attracted uh, the likes of uh, Joe Carrasco that joined us. And uh, from there, we had uh, the older heads, Quintifrino, Fernandez, Eddie Gutierrez joined us the, in, in 85, 86. We had a really strong side. Um, and Fabio just, to me, he was he was a linchpin at the back, really. Um, his size, his presence, uh, the way he communicated. Um, I mean, at that, at, that, at that age, I think he was in his early... Th- 30s.
0: Yeah, yeah,
3: yeah. So he was a senior. He was a senior guy in the squad. Basically, we had some older guys who were in their late twenties, and then we had a group of 18-, 19-, 20 nineteen, twenty-year-olds, which was a good mixture in and around that whole whole squad. So um,
0: yeah. Were you aware of uh, him by name uh, when he came onto the, the the scene in in pre-season in eighty four, or you just thought he's a new keeper? Let's let's see what he can do.
3: No, no, no. We we knew he. I think he came from. Did he come from Balgowny? I think if I could recall.
0: He, he he had he had a stint there at, in Federation, Wollongong City in '76, and then a couple of seasons in the NSL with Marconi, and then came That's back right. to with Balambi and Tarawana um, before yes. he got to you guys and Coniston.
3: That's right. Yeah, and we um, I, I'd seen him in a couple of games as a young fella. Uh, him doing uh, playing at, at a high level, uh, and then I knew that he had gone to local uh Balambi and Tarawana, and, and we knew of him as he, as he came over. But once we got, you know, uh, he was a pre-season. He, it, it, to me, to be honest, he was a gentleman throughout. Mm-hmm. Uh, nice to talk to, easy to get along with. But when he kept, got on the park, there was a presence about him. You know, he he had that, that stature, if you yeah. want to call it, you know, uh, at the back. Uh, and he sort of... At that stage, too, our back line, when you look at our back line, we had Albert, Albert Chachi on the left as a left back. Frank Favana, who was our sweeper, because we played a sweeper type of uh, almost like a European type of uh, way, the formation that Joe Marino uh, with the sw- sweeper back four, and Ricky was on the right. When you look at that, that the, the, out of those three, they were the three that came out of youth grade. So yeah. he had a very young back line to organise and control and he did a fantastic job with them fantastic
0: and he um uh, like i said uh from pitches and even when i played with him in uh 94 he he sort of uh uh, dressed accordingly like some goalkeepers do uh so did you did you recall that when you played with him
3: yes yes he was (laughs) he was always well dressed actually (laughs) uh prior to the game and after the game. He, he was, uh, yeah, we, and sometimes we, uh, as, as young fellas, we always, uh, uh, we, we had a dig at him as well. Um, <laughs> and, and light-hearted about it. it. was all light-hearted, but, uh, but he was well-groomed, uh, came in, he was very professional. He really was. When he walked in, you could see that, you know, geez, he's come from from a high level, played at a high level, uh, knew, you know, and was focused. Always focused. When he entered into the under in, 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 the ground or into the ground, when he was ready to do his warm up, you know he was ready for the game.
0: And do you think that, um, in a good way, uh, sort of infiltrated the rest of the the team as well?
3: Oh yeah, definitely. Uh, he actually, to be honest, there was a, there, we had a really um, uh, Charlie D'Amico was our captain, right? And Charlie, uh, a hard nosed defender, centre half. Defensive midfielder, and he he between him and, and Fabio, uh, the two uh, really drove that whole side. Yeah, um, and I could see the the connection that Fab had with the captain. You know, Fab almost was the captain to be honest. Uh, uh, to me, Charlie dominated the middle of the park and he controlled the middle. But then when you had you really had a second captain at the back, which was which is Fabio and uh and they worked well together and and everyone listened to it because he had he had the right things to say and and he's well respected to be honest
0: well thank you very much uh lou for for giving us a a brief insight into uh paul kembler at the time and and then fab's um introduction into the club and then the team and and the progression that you guys had it's uh It's a wonderful era at the club, and it's a wonderful club in general. So uh, I thank you very much for for talking to me. It
3: was. No, no, not a problem, Travis. It was my pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: And on the line now, I have uh, a very special guest in Albert Chocci. Albert, you played with Fabio during the, his stint at Port Kembla Soccer Club between 84 and 87. Oh, what do you remember of Fabio? Uh,
4: I remember Fab uh, being the uh, elder of the squad and uh, came down from, uh, I think he came down from Mark Angel and um, come down with a reputation. And we're all in our early 20s or teenagers still. Yep. Uh, so he sort of commanded a lot of respect, which he probably deserved at, this, at, this, at that stage of his career and our careers.
0: Well, 84 was an important year for, for Paul Kembler because you're in the uh, second tier, uh, the first division trying to make it into the Premier League. And and did Fabio add an extra component to an already talented team to get promotion that year? Oh,
4: definitely did. He, he brought that uh, probably a bit of experience that we required at the time and um, as I said we are basically a bunch of uh, 19 and 20 year olds yep. coming through second division and actually came through in 19 most of the team came through in 19 the previous year actually So, um, Fab brought that experience that we were, we needed at the stage
0: On game day what was he like as a keeper what made him a, a very good keeper
4: I think uh, coming from the Sydney Leagues so I probably brought that Extra bit of professionalism, and um, he commanded commanded to, to to lift our standards basically, yep. which obviously helped the team out.
0: And was he pretty good in the air and um, very agile?
4: Yeah, Fab commanded his box, and um, yeah, he didn't stay and get in his way when he he made himself uh, known that he was that was his born, and ninety nine percent of the time he actually get there. So. <laughs> Uh, we felt safe in front of him, and having a keeper like that was uh, brilliant, actually.
0: And I, uh, funnily enough, had met him uh, uh, later on uh, when he helped out Dave Naylor in '94 at Balgowny Rangers, and yeah. and I yeah. always remembered him as, uh, uh, you know, even at that age, and I think he was forty-two around that point in time. Um, but he was always uh, as a keeper immaculately dressed. Uh, was he the same when he was at Port Kembla?
4: He was a stylish dresser Fabio yeah he's uh he was a good looking man. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and are there games um uh, that still spring to mind in your memory uh about Fabio when and, and where he did something uh special or 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 very well?
4: I probably remember our, our pre-season in 80 I think it was 84 or 85 we went down to Wagga. Yep. And um us up, he was the leader of the gang, so he showed us. Um, we played a representative side, so actually a riverine at that stage, and it was 40 degrees heat. And um, uh, Fab was a cornerstone. We um, we only, only went down one nil, so it was a good uh, trial game to lead us into that 85 season where. We played bull at the first first game at Weaveral Park that year and we ended up winning 6-1 by memory.
0: So, uh, like you said, uh, he helped uh, uh, with the rest of the squad uh, gain promotion in 84 and then 85, you're in the Illawarra Premier League and, and then sort of started the springboard for the club for, for the 80s and 90s. So, uh, in Premier League, uh, again, stepping up a level, uh, although a talented squad in the outfield, having him in, the, in between the sticks helped.
4: Uh, Definitely, um, yeah, we did add to that squad eventually down the track, but um, Fab was a cornerstone of that side. Uh, We had had, uh, some very talented players, although being young and that, but players like Rick Mickley at the back and Joe Concarlos, and Joe Carrasco come along from Worola and Etiquette Terrace, Gundi, and Discalza, and all those sort of players I remember were... were, um, not only decent players, but great people, in general.
0: Thanks, Albert, for your time. Uh, I greatly appreciate you uh, adding to uh, uh, Fabio's journey here on on the Football United versus Soccer City podcast. It, it means a lot, and and thank you very much for your time. Thanks, Travis. <laughs> So at the end of '87, you you finished the '87 season where you had Robert Fryer um, as your player coach again at Port Um Did you you didn't play in '88? Um, was it just a matter of time of like you said, your family work and and your 35, '36. Yeah. You thought time's up.
1: Yeah, it was a little bit of that. I mean, uh, also getting a little bit of pressure from my uh, from my then wife about spending more time with the family, uh, which at the end of the day, really, I thought, yeah, you know, she's probably right because, I mean, it's I'm not going anywhere. I mean, I'm enjoying myself. Uh, I'm, uh, you know, having a great time playing, but I'm not really going to go anywhere with this. And so that was the decision that uh, had to be made, unfortunately.
0: 1989, you, you joined Calder United in the second division, um, came out of retirement there in the third tier. So... Um... You played the three first grade games there. So, what brought you out of retirement, and and why did you go to Coldale? Uh,
1: Jack Forbes. Yep. Jack was a good friend of mine. Uh, we we used to have uh, you know dinner parties together, and he used to come to my place, and I used to go to his place. And so, you know, I had already been retired for for a couple of years, and you know, he said, you know, I'm now in charge of the the club, um, and uh, what I um, what I would like is if you. You know, well, this is a lower division, so you can play in a division. And I said, "I don't know, Jack. I mean, you know, in the lower divisions, that's where you create more injuries. You know, you're more liable to get injuries because you know the players can hit you harder and what what not." And then I thought about it, and I thought, "Geez, I really am tempted to go back." And so anyway, because we were friends, that was the main reason. Uh, his brother also had an influence on that too. Um, and so I went to to Calder.
0: Yeah, you only played three games, but uh, involved again, so... uh,
1: Well, I played three games because then I ended up being the coach. Okay. Yeah, and so I thought to myself, you know, it's better that I just coach instead of in goals because, you know, when you're super fit and you can dive around and land on the ground, you don't hurt yourself. But when you've had two years off and your body's become soft, (laughs) you know, and the grounds there had no grass, it was all dirt... And rough as. so I only played three games, and then we had another keeper there, and it was only second division. So I thought, yeah, I'll just coach the team, and so that's what I did. I coached the team, um, and um, yeah, that was that was the my experience, my first experience as a coach.
0: And did you enjoy it, or was it just a matter of because you had that relationship with Jack Forbes that you thought, okay, I'll do it, but not going to do this again?
1: Well, I, I did enjoy it, and I'll tell you why because. <laughs> I managed, given the fact that I knew Bobby Fryer, I managed to g- arrange a friendly game for them to come up to Coldell and play a friendly game one night, a Tuesday night, I think it was, a training session. And uh, they were in the Premier Division, we were in the Second Division, and we ended up winning the game. And I played that night, and we ended up winning the game 2-1, and... Bobby Fry was so angry, <laughs> <laughs> you know. I thought that really made my my night. That him could his team could not beat a second division club. And I'm not saying this in a nasty way, please, you know. But uh, it was it was interesting how how the the team uh, of uh, you know workers and coal miners and whatever they were uh, could actually beat an elite club like like Coniston. You know,
0: he was at Arris at the time.
1: Arris, yeah, that's right, yeah.
0: So you then didn't do anything for five odd years and and I guess uh if if I wanted to sort of put myself into to your journey in a small way uh uh, you then turned up at at my club Balgany Rangers and it was my first senior year in 1994 so I I do remember you You were quality in goals um but you're also one of the best uh best looking goalkeepers I ever saw up until that point um but was it David Naylor again in 94 that, that brought you out of retirement? Because you played 15 first and reserve grade games that year. And, and you know, you're at, I guess, 41 turning 42. So um, was it his friendship and, and asking you to come and help out meant that you, you
1: signed up? Well, you know, look at it this way, Travis. If, some, if you're old and someone says, we really like you to play with our team, that's, that's a great compliment. You know, uh, and I think like uh, it, it, I already was like you said, 41, and I thought, well, I'm way over the hill. <laughs> and if this club really wants or needs me, they must have a lot of respect for me. And and I chose to go. So that's how that turned out. It was really awkward because I hadn't played in, as you said, in four or five years, and and I, I didn't know what to expect. I really didn't know what to expect in the, in that the division. And it was uh, the first few games until I got used to it. It was a bit difficult and hard. It's scary, that's probably the right word, scary. <laughs> but after a while, I settled. I settled in, and when I did settle in, then the games became a lot easier.
0: And so, uh, apart from maybe a couple of uh, years in in amateurs in in the late nineties with uh, with the Pumas, um, uh, did you really miss playing at all, or or once you'd sort of finished up, you were you were fairly fine with that?
1: Travis I miss the game like you have no idea even now today. <laughs> if I could if God could give me new limbs uh, no pain in the body and and let me lose uh, 20 kilos I'd be playing. <laughs> uh it's it's just uh look at the love of the game is 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 still in there and you know I dream about it and it sounds ridiculous that at my age I should be dreaming about football or what I would like to have achieved in football but I still do you know it's um It's something that I've never realised that I had such a passion for, you know? Uh, Playing football, it's just... I don't think there's anything else, personally.
0: Your involvement with the game didn't necessarily stop because you'd stopped playing. Now, you did have a period of time there in in the late 90s, early 2000s, where you did goalkeeper coaching. Um, And and that brought, um, I guess, you to the forefront of people in the Illawarra and, and elsewhere where you started training young goalkeepers. Can you talk a bit about that?
1: Yeah, yeah, sure can. Look, that, uh, that was uh, uh, something that I had been uh, thinking about doing for a while. And then I thought, well, why not? I mean, you know, at least let me pass on my knowledge to young goalkeepers, okay? And, or would-be goalkeepers. So anyway, I started uh, my uh, advertising and it was called, and I registered the company under Wollongong um, uh, Goalkeeper Academy. And uh, we started off, I started off with, I, mean, I don't know, I think about half a dozen goalkeepers, you know, from ranging from the age of uh, 10 on to about the age of um, uh, 13, 13 in that age group. And then I had different age groups later on. But in the beginning, that's what it was. And um, and from then, from there, it actually grew and grew and grew and grew. And before I knew it, I had like 75 children per week wow. that I was coaching. Yeah. And I had them all different age And then I also had a senior squad of senior goalkeepers, uh, goalkeepers that were from like uh, 18 up to 25 in that age group. And some of these kids were coming from Sydney to train with me. So it was like, uh, you know, the word had gotten around. And my training session was similar to the way that Joe Moreno used to do, because I learned a lot from him. And it was, you need to make the player happy. And if you make him happy and you make him feel content in what he's doing, he's going to do what you ask him to do. Now, most of the kids, because I'm talking with their parents, right, would always say the same thing. After coming to me for two, three months, they would say, you know, little Johnny's uh, game has improved so much since he's been coming to you. So, you know, build up the confidence, uh, improve the technique, uh, work on the physical uh, fitness and, uh, and have fun because at the end of the day that's what football is meant to be It's a game that you have a lot of fun you know
0: yeah definitely definitely fabio it's it's been wonderful talking to you uh like i said we've been uh liaising with each other online for for a period of time now and and i've learned a lot about your career in in learning your timeline and and now talking to you today um uh, that stuff about taking yourself to italy and in the mid-70s uh, is wonderful, but your whole career has been. So uh, I truly appreciate you taking the time out um, to speak with me and, and tell the listener and myself about your journey. I, I greatly appreciate it.
1: You're most welcome, actually. It's been a pleasure uh, talking with you. Thank you so much for, for, for um, inviting me.
0: Thanks for listening and downloading episode 75. It is sincerely valued. And my sincere gratitude to Fabio for the time he spent recounting his journey in the game. I'm your host, Travis. Goodbye for now.